Hang on, Mr. Douglas. Yeah. Well, hello, my fellow Telestai. It is good to have you here. It is good to be here with you for this sixth episode and final episode in our excavation and exploration of Volume 2 of Secrets of Power, written by the eminent Ingo Swan. Oh, I'm thrilled we've come this far, and I tell you, I'm excited for us to go even further, farther, stronger, longer, and becoming more empowered with every step along the way, however curvy and maze-like the way may be. Today, we'll cover chapters 27 through 34, the remaining chapters from the second volume. All right, let's get right to it. Our first excerpt is from chapter 27. Having or showing realization, perception, or knowledge is, of course, one kind of awareness in our contemporary terms, but it is awareness of or about something. For clarity, awareness of or about something has more to do with what the something is, and in that sense it is something that determines what the awareness is and or consists of. For example, knowledge is not just knowledge in that it consists of information of various kinds that are packaged as knowledge. While one can build awareness of or about the packaged information, it is the information that thence packages the parameters of awareness. A wondrous aspect of information is that it can be manipulated this way or that. It can be erroneous to begin with, it can be falsified and faked, and can be manufactured and or designed in formats that evoke interest, but which result in little else. The suffix ness is utilized to indicate a state, a condition, quality, or degree of something. It can now be pointed up that of or about something, no matter what it is, is a far cry from the original definition of aware, wary, watchful, vigilant, cautious, to be on one's guard. Ingo Swan gets us started with an alphabet cereal bowl of words. Once consumed comes to the point of showing us that the words aware and awareness mean two different things. That information carries within it what one can have awareness of as it pertains to the information that's being Carried. <laughs> Sometimes Ingo gets thickety with his explanations, not gonna lie. Here he tells us that the suffix ness is used to indicate a state, quality, condition, a degree of something. So we could probably say Ingo carries a significant quality of wordiness with him, at least at some points, and with us through these books. While it can be tough to chew on at times to metabolize and assimilate this multi-course word and meaning meal, once I came out on the other side of this, I I gotta tell you, I have been forever changed by it for the better. I am that much more aware of my personal interior reality box building, the process of it, and the continuous attempts from the power structures we swim in 
to become awash with frames of references that do not serve me and may even do me harm. So, Ingo tells us that the ness suffix and what it brings to the table in terms of definitions being of or about something is a far cry from the original definition of aware, which is being wary, watchful, vigilant, cautious, to be on one's guard. To take this journey is to grow in your aware powers. To grow in your aware powers is to grow in empowerment. Let's keep growing. Chapter 28's excerpt is next. However, the term attention is drawn from the term attend, which is taken from the Latin word ad plus tendere, which is defined as to stretch to something. Hence, the earliest English definition, circa 1300, is given as to direct the eyes, ears, mind, energies to anything. Now, in the most literal sense, to stretch to means exactly that, to reach out, to direct toward, as if to touch or include. One of the most interesting facets of the early definition is the inclusion of energies in it. On the surface, this does not make too much sense, but there is a familiar phenomenon many experience, a phenomenon known from ancient times, having to do with focusing attention on the back of another's head and having that head turn around to look-see who or what. Indeed, the ancient Greeks thought that the eyes had the power of focusing a kind of energy power, and stretching it out until it touched someone in some energetic way, sufficient enough to call forth some kind of response. Although it is still not well known between 1925 and the fall of the Soviet Union, this phenomenon was tested within the contexts of Soviet bioinformation transfer research, not only between individuals in sight of each other, but across larger distances. The attention-stretching-out phenomenon was found to exist in both the near and the far aspects. Indeed, if telepathy phenomena exist over distances, then the attention-stretching-out thing must also exist. Attend, ad plus tendere, to stretch to something, to direct the eyes, ears, mind to anything, to reach out. And then Ingo tells us of an experience familiar and common in ancient times, but I'd argue it's familiar to this day. That focusing of attention onto the back of someone's head, to the point that they then turn around. I love this revelation of ancient Greek experiencing and thinking. The eyes had the ability to focus a kind of energy power and stretching it out until it touched someone in some energetic way in enough noticeable force to have a noticeable response. I mean, if that's not some kind of subtle form of 
PK of psychokinesis of telekinesis. I don't know what is. And how this was tested and found to exist in the Soviet biotransfer research experimentation. So I got a personal story for you. When I was very young, it must have been third grade. I clearly remember this day in math class. I was not paying attention to math class at all. Uh, the lights were dim because the teacher had one of those old school projector machines where she was showing us multiplication tables on the transparent sheets and just writing with like a, an eraser marker. Anyway, this girl who was sitting in front of me at her desk had her right leg crossed over her left. For whatever reason, I, I, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I just started focusing on her right leg and with great intention pushed the thought outward, move your right leg. Almost immediately, like a response to my focused thought, she started bobbing her leg up and down, her right leg. And I kept focusing and sending that thought out until she shifted in her seat, uncrossed her legs, and sat with both feet on the ground. Chills and elation, of course, uh, streamed through me. And this experience has stuck with me all my life. I've had others like it since, but that was the first. And it seems that this kind of experience has been common enough throughout humanity that it tracks back to ancient Greece. Wild. I have since come across varied descriptions of execution of what Ingo describes as focusing on the back of someone's head. There is just that, the sending the attention that way. I've come across descriptors of focusing on the act of licking someone's ear to get them to turn either to the left or the right. When playing with pets, uh, most of the time cats, if they are not chasing down the string or whatever kind of cat toy you're playing with, and I've done this and this works with my cat, uh, it's wild because it works just about every time, but I focus on the tip of whatever toy that I'm playing her with moving and vibrating very slightly, but like, like it's trying to move and get away and brrr, kind of buzz. And my cat, every time, gets very attentive. And then will eventually, after doing the whole like, you know, butt waggle thing, leap at the toy that I am actually sending that kind of focused intention towards. It's wild. Also, uh, when driving, if you want someone to speed up in front of you, uh, focus on the symbol of Mars and impress it as best you can into the mind and feet of the driver ahead of you. I use that one to greater or lesser degrees of success while driving in L.A. traffic. That one was told to me by an individual who introduced me into a very interesting experience that I had, which I suppose I'll get into at another time. All right, Chapter 29's excerpt is locked and loaded and ready to go. If the human species is to wheel and deal and active influencing as vastly as it does, then that species is innately equipped to put out or to project influences of numerous kinds. Additionally, influences cannot become influences unless they are somehow sensed or detected as such, and so the species must be innately equipped with receptors and detectors 
that are sensitive to influences. Yet, influences cannot be felt as such unless they are first emanated or emitted or projected from some sources. And so the basic human equipment regarding influencing must involve emitters as well as receptors. As it is, however, power structures cannot have too many of their inhabitants running around actively emitting or projecting too much on their own, and so over time and very early. The best discovered way of preventing this is to conceal information and knowledge that individuals of the species are equipped with emitters and powers of projecting. Our species comes prepackaged with powers of influence to such a fine degree that this influence must be projected or emitted in one way or another. Commonly, we can think of influence like in marketing and commercials, but as we discussed with the previous excerpt, and here Ingo brings it up explicitly, we come with receptors and detectors that are sensitive to influences that we project or emit within our basic human equipment. Of course, the power structures cannot keep together if everyone were to practice and strengthen their influence projector emitter powers. If everyone was just going around going, boo, 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 influence. I emit my influence. No, too much influence, no. So the knowledge is squashed, shut down and silenced. We can't have you running about projecting your influence. Why, that would muddy up our projecting of our influence. We'll just tell you it doesn't exist, and you should shut up about it and go back to your measly existence. Enjoy your Bud Light and Indiana Jones and keep quiet about you empowering your innate powers, will you? It doesn't do us, uh, uh, society any good. <laughs> the first two excerpts from Chapter 30 is spun up and ready for liftoff. So, in fundamental essence, experiencing something and recognizing that it has been experienced comes before assigning a nomenclature term to it. One of the points being made here is that the human species as a whole possesses innate powers, all of which exist before a language system is set up to assign terms to the powers. The term innate is defined as 1 existing in or belonging to an individual from birth, two, belonging to the essential nature of something, three, originating in or derived from the mind or the constitution of the intellect rather than from experience. It is worth emphasizing definition three just above, i.e. derived from mind intelligence rather than from experience possibly derived even before experience, and in which case derived before terms can be invented and assigned.
The experience and then recognition of the experience happens way before we come up with names for anything. Innate, belonging to something since birth, being a part of an essential nature of something, originating in or derived from the mind. So, our powers, which are innate, are there, essential to our nature, and according to the definition, originate before the experience of them, which makes sense as we couldn't experience something that didn't exist before the experiencing, right? Right? All that to say that <laughs> these powers are baked in at the base level of what it is to be what we are. They are not supernatural. They're natural. They're innate. Onward to the second excerpt from chapter 30. The existence of at least some human innate hard drives has been discovered. In its July 1993 issue, Life magazine featured an elegant article entitled The Amazing Minds of Infants. This article brought together the findings of various researchers originally focusing on how infants begin to learn whatever they do. But one of the major outcomes of this research had to do with ascertaining in infants the existence of, quote, innate abilities we're just beginning to understand, unquote. Innate, of course, refers to born with or already born with, as contrasted to being acquired at some point down the line. One such innate born with factor has to do with the estimation that babies are universal linguists, capable of distinguishing each of the 150 sounds that make up all human speech and thus make up all human languages in one way or another. A companion excerpt to the one before and a great example of our human species' innate powers. Infants come with these innate abilities ready to go. Babies are universal linguists, distinguishing the more than 150 sounds that make up any language spoken by humans. That's a great example. Thank you, Ingo. All right, climbing out of our crib into the next excerpt from Chapter 31. In order to get somewhat beyond this situation, it is necessary to examine the modern and pre-modern definitions of the term importance and important. Most modern dictionaries define important as marked by or possessing weight or consequence. Importance is thus defined as the quality or state of being important with regard to consequence, weight, moment, and significance. However, the term important comes into English at some point between 1450 and 1580 and was taken from the Latin importans. The early English definition copied the Latin one of to be of consequence, weight, or force. 
emphasis added here. And so it becomes visible that the element of force has been deleted from the modern definitions. This deletion erases the active component or element from the modernist definition, leaving behind only the more or less passive contexts. Consequences have their importances, of course. When and if they do come about, they are the result of something that has already happened, past-oriented, so to speak. The element of force, however, makes things happen. Or at least things are likely to happen via that element, and so the force part of importance is future-oriented. Since it is not unusual to find that the societal powerful wish to develop or enforce the important future in their own important terms, it is convenient to delete the force element from the public definitions of important and importance. If the element of force is excluded from definitions of importance, then any number of things can be conceptualized as important, if only to participate in them so as to have the feeling of being important. Ingo taking us to class again, showing us the difference between important and importance. Important to be of consequence, weight, or force. But then again, we get the force, it gets erased in modern times. It's on purpose, I bet. I think. I know. So we're left with a more passive understanding of important, i.e. something of consequence. But like Ingo says, this kicks us back into thinking something important has already happened in the past and so looked back at and not forward toward. The element of force makes things happen, which is future-oriented. And since the powerful are concerned with enforcing their own version of what they deem important to them in the future, it's convenient to delete the force element of our understanding of important for the unwashed masses, lest we get too uppity and want to affect with force what we see as important to our own futures. That last part, too, has got a lot of revelatory weight to it. It is a good-sized turkey leg from the Renaissance Fair level of protein quote. Quote, If the element of force is excluded from definitions of importance, then any number of things can be conceptualized as important, if only to participate in them so as to have the feeling of being important. Unquote. Yeah. How much is spun up for us to participate in to only have us feel as if what we are giving our attention to is important, but isn't really. The news is the first thing that comes to mind. Most popular culture, movies, TV shows, music, I mean a great majority, at least nowadays, of what the machine of modern society is spitting out seems to be propped up to have us feel like it's important and have us feel important for paying attention to it, but, and as gross, depressing, salacious, sad as it is, that there's cocaine found at the White House. At this point, is that important? Or is that being used to get us riled up and feel like it's important when some real shiny shit might be going down in the background? Ingo gets us thinking. I'm all about it. Next excerpt is from chapter 32. 
The English term attempt was taken from the Latin ad plus temptere, which literally translated refers to toward touch. Here we once more find ourselves in the vicinity of the human stretching powers already discussed. For example, our empathic, telepathic, and intuitional powers, and especially our grokking powers. While it is abundantly obvious that we can passively experience what we are exposed to, it can equally be the case that we can experience what we actively toward touch. Another way of approaching what is involved here is to observe that if human mind intelligence systems could only passively experience what was encountered from the outside, then it is unlikely that human mind intelligence systems would have no active mind powers whatsoever. Indeed, the existence of human intelligence would become questionable, and the human organism would be reduced to the level of all other stimulus-response organisms. Quote-unquote, if human mind intelligence systems could only passively experience what was encountered from the outside, then it is unlikely that human mind intelligence systems would have active mind powers whatsoever. Unquote. Like Engo says, this brings us back into our mental, active, eye-force-affecting abilities. Attempts, etymological root definition, gets boiled down to, toward, touch. If we couldn't actively experience what we reach out toward and actively attempt? Ingo says, humans' intelligence systems would come into question, and the human organism would be reduced to other simpler stimulus-response organisms. So this actively reaching out and touching experiencing seems to be a good demarcation line when it comes to getting into nurturing our intelligence and thus empowering ourselves. We simply have to attempt something. And in that attempt, we actively move toward and touch upon direct experience, which defogs the map, widens intelligence spectrums, and builds a store of knowledge to build upon further. The key, it seems, is simply attempting actively Attempting. Simply may not mean that it is easy, but simply. Attempt to use your eye force powers to get someone to turn around. Okay, next is the first of two excerpts from chapter 33. In principle, then, our powers of cognizing refer to information and knowledge not already present within one's reality box, and which, if experienced, probably will shift and enlarge the contents of reality boxes. Thus, our powers of cognizing permit us to alter our reality box adaptations upon which all our former understandings and comprehensions have been based. Now, it must be pointed up that no one has the faintest idea of how and why cognitions can occur, or, for that matter, 
how and why realizations take place. But it is generally understood that people have them, and it is also comprehended that if the powerless are to remain as such, then they should not be encouraged to have too many realizations, and certainly as few cognitions as possible. Our powers of cognizing, our realization, our realization powers. Information and knowledge not already in our reality boxes, taken in, assimilated, metabolized, digested, and put to use. How do we have them? How do we do that? Nobody knows. Yet, they seem to be a major, if not the major axis of how we build better reality boxes, as Ingo says. I may have mentioned it here before, but an interesting thought to carry along is the saying that maybe it's not so much people thinking, but maybe it's more along the lines of thoughts peopling. Not mine. I've heard that quote several times in other places. I wish I knew who to attribute it to. But where do our thoughts come from? Where do these realizations and revelations, where, where, where do they come from? Could it be that maybe there is a realm of active information and that thoughts are just looking for the right receptacles to be brought into this more tactile, experiential existence? And at the end of the excerpt here, Ingo says, If the powerless are to remain as such, then they should not be encouraged to have too many realizations, and certainly as few cognitions as possible. Eat your bag of chips, watch your shows, get emotional, get reactionary, but don't you dare think for yourself. And I love chips. <laughs> I doubt any of us here are at any major risk of slipping into a singularly reactionary life, but take a walk. Look around, look at social media, look at the network news, Buh. engineered to get you to react rather than cognize and realize. We got this, though. We got this. Onward to more individual empowerment with our second excerpt from Chapter 33. If the contours and limits of understanding and comprehending are to be effective within societal control systems, whether large or small, then in general the powers of cognizing must not undergo too much support and nurturing. Instead, those powers must undergo this or that kind of depowerment. The basic reason for this is that the powers of cognizing refer to the acquisition of knowledge, new knowledge which is external to what one already understands or comprehends. In English, cognition is taken from the Latin cognoscere, meaning to come to know or to become acquainted with. From this, the English definition is rendered as the act or process of knowing, including both awareness and judgment. 
The term awareness is not included in definitions of understanding and comprehending. Indeed, those processes can take place without the involvement of too much awareness, and just about anyone can observe various ongoing examples of this. The powers of cognizing must not get too much support and nurturing in order for our power structures to maintain supremacy. Uh-huh. The powers of cognizing is the acquisition of new knowledge. Big deal. Then we get the definition, cognition, the act or process of knowing, including both awareness and judgment. Awareness and judgment. I'd like to add another word to the mix here. Discernment which is defined as to judge well, which pairs nicely with cognition, I think. If we are to cognize, then we will have the ability of discernment. Discernment, or judging well, at this stage of the game we're in, I think is what will provide a lot of opportunity for us not to get swept up by this or that movement of seeming importance. If we can discern our situation, use discernment when presented with seemingly important information, we can judge well for ourselves what is important for us to focus on and thus cognize and realize our way all the more fully toward individual empowerment. Booyakasha! <laughs> okay, the final excerpt from the episode from the final chapter, chapter 34... Volume 2 of Ingo Swan's Secrets of Power. Here we go. It can now be suggested that if our human grokking powers of beyond self-sourcing transcend anything, the first thing they must transcend involves various kinds of reality boxes. After all, if one cannot get outside of one's reality box, then any transcending processes must remain stultified. Now, with regard to any stultifying of transcending processes, it must frankly be pointed out that most social and societal orders, and especially their power structures, cannot have individuals popping out of their reality boxes. In fact, if such orders are to remain intact and the same, all reality boxes within them must stay the same, at least more or less so. So any popping out of reality boxes is viewed with utmost concern and worry, and much social care is taken to ensure that information and knowledge about popping out is made unavailable or at least is discredited in quite heartless and sometimes obscene ways. So now the question can arise as to whether popping out from this or that reality box has any real virtues. There is one realm of human activity where popping out of reality boxes, conventional or otherwise, is in fact admitted as a virtue, the realm of discovery. Our first move is to pop out of our current reality box structure. The mental image I get is me as a kid 
bursting through a well-constructed pillow fort. Ha ha! <laughs> I used to love making forts as a kid, and given the chance, I'm sure I'd love it again. But back to popping out. While society is structured with the express disincentivization of popping out, Ingo points out here at the end that there is one form in which bursting out of our pillow fort reality box structure is looked at as virtuous. Discovery. I picked this as the final excerpt because, as we continue on our adventure of living, to define it as an adventure of discovery, to me, is a way to stay motivated, to stay moving and positively inclined. Discovery will always provide opportunity to cognize and realize new and empowering information. A life of discovery is a life well-lived. And discovery can take place at all levels of living, from finding out what makes your morning coffee even better than before, to new techniques for supercharging orgone and chi energy, awakening your chakras and widening opportunities for intuition and telepathy while befriending your inner sub and superconsciousnesses. What new toppings taste great on your pizza? <laughs> what spaces in this world give you a pleasurable pause? All of these are empowering. All of these and more are just waiting to be discovered. It has been a joy bringing these excerpts of wisdom from Ingo here to you. This, however, was only a smattering. If you are hungry for the full meal, you can find the full audio versions of both volumes on Amazon and Audible, narrated by me. There's a link in the description, and you can find links as well at mrdouglas.com, M-I-S-T-3-R-D-O-U-G-L-A-S.com. Definitely visit ingaiswan.com. He's got so much more to offer us. I-N-G-O-S-W-A-N-N.com. On that note, I will be doing a dive into his book Psychic Sexuality soon. That one is awesome. And while I haven't narrated that one, I would certainly recommend getting your hands on a copy. Gems abound. If you've enjoyed the podcast, thanks for hanging out this long. Please like, subscribe, click all the things, comment, let me know if there's any book or information you'd be interested in hearing me discuss. And until next time, continue your adventure of discovery. Thanks for hanging. And as always, more power to you.